0: This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Jennings Photography. We specialize in birthday parties, ambassador exposes, and satanic crime scenes as needed. Jennings Photography. If they won't do it, we will and in the outdoor, with the Stevens, in Chicago's, and what I Come at the grand light, making a the smell Hello, my name is Chris.
1: My name is Kelsey,
0: and this is Pod Cemetery where we dissect horror movies, like the rotting Corpses uh, that they are this week, another double feature. <laughs> It's The Omen from 1976 and its remake in 2006. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show?
1: Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. In what Halloween film does antagonist Michael Myers not appear?
0: Halloween 3 Season of the Witch.
1: That is correct.
0: Yeah, did you know that they're... I don't know, I think maybe you showed me. That they're making figurines for the for the trick-or-treaters? Or did I show you that? I don't remember. Somebody showed me that, and I shared it with somebody else. I don't know which direction that went in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're, 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 they have yet to be approved by the license holder. But if you go to certain conventions, you'll be able to see them. They have actual figures of the trick-or-treaters wearing those masks. So, interesting. All right, Kelsey. Yeah. 50-50 shot.
1: Okay.
0: In Paranormal Activity, 2007, which character is more frequently off-camera, Katie or Mika? I hate that he pronounces it Mika, because I know a guy named Micah who spells it the exact same way.
1: Well, Mika's usually the one filming, so I would assume him.
0: You are correct. It is Mika. Yeah, he's he's the one that films most of it. So, Or most of it's set up. You know, yeah, lots and, of shots and we're are watching set up. Her, but yeah,
1: if he's ever there, he's usually behind the camera. There's
0: a whole portion where he's reviewing the tapes and he's taping himself doing that. <laughs> uh, Kelsey's not a big fan of Paranormal Activity. No, no. I'm not.
1: <laughs> I know everybody loves it, and I know everybody's like, "Oh, it just gets worse as it goes." But the first one's great, and a lot of people say that about Saw, and I, I don't, I don't like those franchises no for very different reasons
0: i think when paranormal activity goes off the fucking rails in number four or something like that (laughs) it is nuts and i kind of enjoyed how just goofy it was i
1: just don't get the like i had always i had heard like oh it's so scary it's so scary it's so scary and i finally saw i was like a
0: thing moved. Right. You're just staring at nothing happening for, for 30 a seconds, a minute or whatever. And then something moves a little bit. Yeah. And they I get mean, more the overt ending overt over is
1: kind of creepy, but that's about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then they just kept going. And it's like two and three where I always get these mixed up. But two is immediately after the first movie and three is immediately before or vice versa. And then four is like what happens to the kids later. Anyway, anyway, moving on to 1976's The Omen, written by David Seltzer, directed by Richard Donner, and starring Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, Harvey Stevens, and David Warner. Kelsey, how many lights are there? (laughs) (laughs) There are four lights! Yeah! (laughs) What
2: are the Federation's defense plans for Minos Corva?
0: There are four lights! Uh, he played the Cardassian who was torturing Jean Luc Picard. It, David Warner did in Star Trek The Next Generation. There
1: are five likes. How many do you see now? Based on 1984.
0: Yeah, uh huh. All right, what is The Omen about?
1: The Omen is about a couple who kind of adopt a child, and uh, that child ends up being the son of the devil.
0: The Antichrist.
1: Yeah, I don't really say that word.
0: (laughs) Really? Why not?
1: Antichrist? Catholic upbringing, man.
0: The Antichrist.
1: This this stuff makes me a little uncomfortable. Not like I'm scared of it. It's just I was brought up right. in a religious family, and but but like
0: <laughs> the Antichrist is not Voldemort. You you can say his name. Do you not. When like I say play m-
1: Sudoku, uh huh, and I get to the sixes, I have to literally think sixes because if I think the number three times. I feel like I'm, I don't know, I get really uncomfortable and
0: nervous. This is all new insight that I've (laughs) never, ever known about you. Yeah. You've just been harboring these thoughts this entire time?
1: It's not a big deal.
0: It's a little bit of a deal. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, you play Sudoku a lot. (laughs)
1: It's true, I do.
0: (laughs) Should people watch The Omen? Yes. Yeah, it is. A horror movie classic. Yes. And for good reason. There are great performances. It's got a really, like, dramatic but not over-the-top storyline.
1: Ah, sometimes it can be a little (laughs) over-the-top. But I I enjoyed it, and I think it is pretty good, and I think it's it's a horror staple.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: I enjoyed it way more than I enjoyed uh, Amityville Horror, but, like, I kind of put it on that level, like... If you're a horror fan, you should see this movie.
0: It's better than Amityville Horror.
1: <laughs> no, I'm saying that. Like, yeah. I, I I, actually enjoyed watching this movie. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is, like, there are staples that, like, if you're a horror fan, you kind of right. have to see.
0: We come across those pretty frequently. We watch movies that are really popular. But this is one of those that, like, if you haven't seen it, see it.
1: Yeah, like The Exorcist. I don't really enjoy watching The Exorcist, but it's... You kind of have to if you're a horror fan.
0: I fell asleep the <laughs> first time I saw the exorcist in the theater.
1: <laughs>
0: Next to my very Catholic friend who was freaking out the entire time. <laughs> I think we tell that story in On the Christine our episode. Christine episode. Yeah, because Bob was that friend. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. You can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1976's. The Omen. For
2: generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position, and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorn and his wife, Catherine, was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, something terrible happened. And then, it happened again. Was it an accident? Was it murder? Was it a coincidence? Or was it an omen?
1: Look at me, Damien. It's all
2: for you. 20th Century Fox presents a film of psychological suspense about an occurrence of earth-shaking importance. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. There are those who will die for him. There are those who will kill for him. Who is he? What does he want? Where did he come from and can he be stopped? Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. If this is the truth, where does it end?
0: All right, Kelsey, can you get us started on The Omen? What happens? How does it begin?
1: It opens on Gregory Peck.
0: Gregory Peck. (laughs)
1: Finding out that his child died. His wife just gave birth and the child died. They're in like a church or like a monastery for some reason. They're they're
0: in Rome. Right. Because he's the ambassador to Italy.
1: Or something like that. Or
0: something like that. And he has some sort of position in the American government in Rome, and they're in, like, a Catholic hospital.
1: It doesn't really look like a hospital. It's a hospital. Well, whatever. This priest or monk or whatever he's supposed to be tells him, look, your child died, but you can adopt. And he's like, no, it was really important to my wife that she had her own. And he's like, look. At the same time that your child died, another child was born and its mother died. You could just take this child instead, and your your wife would never have to know. Which was crazy to me. I was just like, holy shit, you're just gonna lie to the mother like for the rest of her life? And the child for the rest of his life? But, you know, he says God has given you a son, so he's like, oh, fuck it, I'll take it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's not like, yeah, fuck it, really, <laughs> as much as it is, like, it would destroy my wife. And this is a child who is in desperate need of a family, born at the same time, looks relatively like he could be their kid. Why not raise a child? You need a child. This child needs a family. Raise it. It, it, but the the problem is, as you state, he's going to have to lie to her till the end of time. <laughs> For the rest of her life.
1: She's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I kind of get it. But like at the same time, I don't see why people are adverse to adoption. So it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And so he does. And almost immediately after that, he finds out that he is now going to be the ambassador to Great Britain, which is a huge, huge thing. So they move to London, and she buys them this huge estate, um, and he's kind of like, eh, it's a little big, but, you know, we're, we're ambassadors now, I guess, you know, kind of got to get used to the high life. Yeah. And they have a governess for their child, and but... Th- <laughs> They have kind of a strange relationship with the child, but at the same time, I think that this movie does a pretty good job of showing that they are a loving family. Whereas yeah. I feel like the remake kind of doesn't. They they show pictures, they show that this family does things together, and that they, you know, they clearly care about each other. But like, there's this weird moment where like Damien, which Why would you name your kid Damien? Doesn't that mean devil?
0: No. Yeah, we don't actually really know what it means. People think it comes from the Greek damien, which means to tame. But it's also the name of a patron saint of physicians who was martyred. So it's not like the only reason it's associated with demons and the devil is because of the omen.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: And actually, the kid's name wasn't going to be Damien. It was going to be Domlin. David Seltzer's wife was like, no, <laughs> that's a, that's a stupid name
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and suggested that, that the name of Damien, I think it had something to do with the fact that she like, she knew a Damien who was a little bitch or, you know, obnoxious, or it just sounded like an obnoxious name or whatever, but she recommended he changed it. It could be a completely different part of our culture if, 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 he never changed the name. I th- think that's pretty interesting.
1: That is. Mm-hmm. I've always associated it with bad things. I mean, I, I like. I guess that's kind of like Adolf. Like, you don't name your kid Adolf anymore. Right,
0: yeah. Uh-huh. You don't
1: name your kid Damien anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Although it's a pretty dope-ass name, I gotta say. Damien. Damien. It's an awesome name.
1: <laughs> but, like, there's this part where... They see Damien and the governess outside and, like, Gregory Peck closes the shade to kiss his wife. And I didn't know if they were trying to say that, like, he's very private about his affection for his wife or if they're showing you that there is a distance between the family.
0: I think it was more like, hey, kids outside with a nanny. But they're not going to have sex. They
1: just kiss. No, 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 no.
0: He just... He just puts the blind down and makes out with her a little bit.
1: Cut to a couple years later, it's Damien's, like, sixth birthday. That'd be funny if it was his sixth. I just said that randomly. Yeah. That makes more sense.
0: It's, it's I think, his fifth birthday. Oh,
1: right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they're having this enormous birthday party for him because they're rich people, and that's what you do. An interesting little thing here that I'm bringing up solely because... It really bothered Chris that they changed it. Oh, my
0: God. Okay, I'll talk about it when we talk about the remake.
1: But I'm going to talk about what happens in the original so that it'll make more sense. Yes, okay. So the governess is taking care of Damien. And there's all these photographers there taking pictures of everything. There's some photographers there that I'm pretty sure they paid to be there. But then there's also, like, paparazzi, which I find a little strange. Why would the paparazzi be interested in taking pictures of... I think
0: they're they're just... You know, newspaper photographers, in general, I don't think it's necessarily what we call today paparazzi, I know, but newspapers send photographers to get photos of the famous ambassador who's having a big lawn party for his son's birthday. That seems reasonable for the seventies <laughs> not a lot going on. Lot going
1: on. <laughs> Who cares about all the wars happening <laughs> um, anyway, so. The nanny is getting pictures taken of her with Damien, and the mother sees this and is like, "Oh fuck!" and like goes and gets her son so yes. that the pictures will be taken. I can of take them.
0: Yeah, it, I, it seems like it's like it's not so much like I want to be in pictures. No, it's that this is going to look bad if all the pictures of my son on his birthday are her with the nanny. <laughs> I, I people need to know that I love and care for my child.
1: <laughs> yeah. So she takes Damien away. And the governess turns and sees a dog. What kind of dog is it, Chris?
0: It's a Rottweiler.
1: A Rottweiler is looking at her, and she becomes transfixed by it. Yeah. And walks away. Uh, And then we get the famous scene of her getting up on the top of the roof with a noose around her neck and shouting out, Damien, Damien, look at me. It's all for
0: you. It's all for you, Damien. Damien!
1: at me, Damien. It's all for you. And then she hangs herself. And everybody is screaming and she breaks through the glass of the window. And I think the mother is in the room. No. Uh, Somebody's in the room. Yeah. And they start screaming and and then they cut to all these people just like staring at it. Yeah. Remember, this is a children's birthday party.
0: (laughs) Um, People are just looking at a dead body hanging off the roof. But now this puff piece about... (laughs) <laughs> the the ambassador's fifth child's fifth birthday party is now about how the child's nanny hung herself in, in full view of everyone at the party.
1: Yes, not very good publicity.
0: No, not at all.
1: Then we see Damien looking at the dog. And I think the implication here is that the dog works for the devil in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And that it's almost like it's waking him up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't have any idea who he was until this dog showed up.
0: Yeah. I think throughout the movie, Damien as a five-year-old kid, is subject to his impulses. I don't think he necessarily, at least as the movie progresses, it gets more so like this, but I don't think he necessarily is like, I am Satan's child, and I shall be the Antichrist, and you know I, I must accomplish these tasks. It's more he just has this these impulses. And as a kid, he just follows his impulses. But it's, it's an, a different nanny that fosters those impulses in him.
1: Yeah. The father is trying to go to work and all the paparazzi is all after him, like, you know, asking questions about the nanny. And he's trying to ignore them and get past them. And he hits one of them and he falls to the ground and his camera breaks. And he says, I'll pay for a new one.
0: Send is, me the bill and I'll I'll pay for it.
1: Which is very nice of him. Like yeah. it's like dude, you were in this way.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like you
1: kind of like I, paparazzi. I I think are just assholes. I get it. It's a job and it's probably a very well paying job. But you're a fucking dick. Yeah. Uh, but that, anyway. you need
0: to accept that that's the consequence of your role. Like, yeah, <laughs> hey, I need to do what I need to do to get job. They're they're celebrities and they just they they open themselves up to be photographed in public and blah 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 blah. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you're not a dick.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: He says, "No, that's okay. Let's just say you owe me one."
0: I am sorry. Will you uh, send me
2: a bill for the damage? Well, that's all right, Mister Ambassador. Let's just say you owe me.
1: My immediate response would be. No. Yeah, let's
0: not. I'm, Send me the bill.
1: Yeah, I'll either pay for a new camera or we're done here. Yeah. So he goes into work, and while at work, a priest shows up. Not the priest from the beginning, which is no. a little confusing if you didn't remember what the priest from the beginning yeah, looked like.
0: because vaguely they <laughs> look similar.
1: They're Italian priests. What do you want? Yeah,
0: they're Italian priests. They have dark hair. <laughs> like roughly the same age yeah
1: and he tries to talk to gregory peck and but he does it in a way that is so not clear and i do not blame gregory peck at all for being like get the fuck out of here you crazy yeah, he's, person
0: he's talking about fire and brimstone stuff like yes it's, how how am i supposed to relate you just seem like you're a crazy person coming to talk to me
1: yes i think when he first starts talking to him he just starts spouting out things from revelations yeah i would be like you're crazy
0: dude
1: Mm -hmm. um and he says he's killed once he'll kill again i saw its mother it was a jack
2: i saw its mother you saw my wife i saw its mother you're referring to my wife. It's mother, Mr. Thorne. This is blackmail and come out. Say it. What is it that you're trying to say? His mother. And
1: mm-hmm. then he gets taken away. Yeah. Okay. And I do want to point out something that here again, this is another thing that I thought the remake, th- the remake is very, very similar, but it chose to make strange differences in the way that they set things up. So, from my perspective from seeing this for the first time, it seemed like Gregory Peck was more concerned about the idea that when the priest said, I saw its mother, he's talking about his wife. And he's saying, you're talking about my wife, dude. Don't say it. D- that's my child, like kind of thing. Whereas I felt like the remake did it differently,
0: but we'll talk now, about that. I, 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 The perception that I've always had is that If you're referring to the child's mother, that is my wife. Number one, if you want to talk about the person who gave birth to this child, that's one thing. That is not Damien's mother. That's number one. And number two, we do not talk about how Damien was birthed by somebody else. That's the sensation that I got.
1: I just felt like it was acted very differently. Yeah,
0: it was. So... Gregory Peck, by the way, (laughs) fantastic actor. I absolutely love him in this role. He had all but retired before doing this. There are a few other people who were going to be cast in the role of Ambassador Thorne, one of which is Dick Van Dyke, and he regrets having not done it. Well, duh. I think it would have been pretty impressive to see Dick Van Dyke in a role like this. Uh, But anyway, Gregory Peck chose to do it. And he he specifically decided to, to play this role because a year earlier his son had committed suicide. And he wasn't there for his son. And he was compelled by a story about a father who loves his son and is driven by this love for his son, like throughout the entire movie. And is kind of willing to do anything because he very much is
1: until the end.
0: No, he's, that's, I think part of it.
1: Well, we'll get there. Yeah. Then a very weird thing happens. And I think that this is something that the remake actually did better. So, his, obviously now his son doesn't have a governess, and so this lady shows up, unannounced, uninvited, and says, the agency sent me, uh, I'm here to replace your old governess. And they're like, oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: like, no question, no verification, no nothing. And then she goes, I think I should meet the child alone first. Oh, okay. Yeah, Uh go spend time with my son. I just met you. I I don't even know about your references, but you go right ahead. Uh
2: I like her. She seems all right. Where'd you find her?
0: Where did I find her? I didn't find her. I assumed you found her.
1: Just a different time, I guess. A very different time.
0: But it is very, like, this hands-off parenting. Right, so the idea that they're just like, yeah, fine, do it. Like isn't too remarkable. It also feeds into, especially with the mom, the concept of she does not feel like you mentioned earlier with uh, the closing the blinds being symbolic of a separation between the parents and the child. She does not feel a connection to Damien. So I don't think she has that maternal instinct that she might otherwise have. And I think that's intentional.
1: That's a good point. But so the nanny walks in to talk to Damien, and she says, I am here to protect thee. And then he smiles at her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So obviously he and her working for the same guy.
0: The <laughs> same dude. <laughs>
1: So then I guess they're going to go to like a wedding or something yeah, at a, at, a at a church. And she said and the mother says to the nanny, "Okay, I need my son."
0: Mrs. Baylock by the way is the nanny's name.
1: Mrs. Baylock. Uh, "I need Damien, my son. We're going to go to the church." And she goes, "I think it's wrong to te- to tell a kid like to go to church at such a young age. They're not going to understand it." And it's like, "Excuse me?"
0: Well, she's She's making excuses. Obviously, we know why. But I'm saying, like, it's not like she actually believes that.
1: No, I understand. Yeah. (laughs) I'm saying as the mother, I would probably fire that bitch pretty quickly. Yeah. I'd be like, excuse me? If I'm taking my son to the church, I'm taking my son to the church. And it's not like she only says it once and then says, you're right. No, she, like... Fights with her about it. Like, she says, like, two or three things to her, trying to get her to not take him. And we know why, and I understand why, but I feel like the movie does a... The the remake does a much better job of making it seem more realistic. Because, again, you work for me, bitch. That is my son. You can either get him dressed or you can get the fuck out. (laughs) He's too young. Don't take him to a church.
0: Well, no, it's going to be a wedding. He's not even going to know... What is even going on, he's going to be bored out of his mind, but the mom's thinking, I can't go to this social function as a mother without my child.
1: But also just, I said this. Yeah, absolutely. My instructions. (laughs) Absolutely,
0: but why did she give that instruction in the first place? As a parent, honestly, if I had a nanny and I was going to a wedding, I would be like, peace, kid. (laughs) You're sticking. You're going to be a handful at this wedding. It's going to be annoying. I'm going to be upset the whole time having to deal with you while people are in a, a fancy church wedding. Like, just, it's great. Fantastic, Nanny. Stay home with the kid. We'll be back in a couple of hours.
1: When they're in the car and they do the same thing in the remake and I don't understand, all of a sudden the parents are really concerned about Damien. And in both versions, kids just fucking sit in there. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my Uh God, he's so frightened. (laughs) Is he? Literally, like, as an audience member, I was like, what? He has done nothing to show me that he is afraid.
0: So this is another instance where the director decided, Richard Donner in this case, decided not to tell the kid that they were in a horror movie. So, throughout the entire movie, he has no idea what he's supposed to be doing. Donner had to be like, This is how you're supposed to look. You know, look like you're sick or whatever. And this five year old kid has to do the best he can. You know? (laughs) So, but he's just kind of like, hmm. Like he almost has, he's almost expressionless.
1: Exactly. He's expressionless Mm -hmm. through most of the film, except for when he smiles.
0: Yeah. Which again. But that's a haunting stare he normally has. It's very effective in a lot of shots. But in this scene, you're right. He doesn't look sick to me. (laughs) (laughs) Just
1: sit there. Uh, But then as they get closer and closer to the church, he starts screaming and hitting and kicking and biting and scratching at his mother. Yeah. And so they get up to the church and there's all this paparazzi. And so Gregory Peck is like, no, fucking drive. Go. uh, I cannot be seen in public like this. Yeah. And yeah, I think that is a big part of this original film, is is how they're perceived by other people. And I think that is character development, but honestly, what does that have to do with the rest of the film? It is character development. Chris and I had a whole conversation about this. This is character development. And if you want your characters to be three-dimensional, then you gotta put in stuff like this. But usually it has a purpose. It serves a purpose for the story. And I don't think them being super concerned about their appearance in public is very important.
0: The problem this is this is actually I think a problem in the remake is that they don't emphasize enough how he's an ambassador. The fact that he's an ambassador is super important to the lore of the film. And if it's just a throwaway fact, it could be the same exact thing, you know, if he was just rich then, you know, or the owner of a of a corporation Or something like that. And you could be the same story. Well, that doesn't fit the lore. So if you're going to have, you know, references to his life, make them references to the fact that he is politically very important and needs to keep up appearances because his job literally is all about relationships. So appearances are important and it's important that he is a political figure. So the fact that they develop that, I think, makes sense.
1: So Gregory Peck goes in to check on his son who's asleep and that same Rottweiler is growling at him.
0: He's in the house.
1: Yeah. He's like, "Oh fuck." And then in walks Mrs. Baylock and she tells the dog, "You hush up now. This is the master of the home." And he's like, "What the hell?" why did you bring a Rottweiler into my home mm-hmm. without asking me, without telling me, um, you put this dog in my child's yes. room?
0: and her response is, yeah, we found him and he's really taken a liking to to your son and so, you know, we let him in the house and he's like, get him out of here, which is also an understandable reaction and she acquiesces ostensibly. <laughs>
1: So the next day, the mother is taking Damien to the zoo. I guess this must be a thing. It's a thing. I've never. Yeah. Have you experienced?
0: This? I've never. I've never done it, but I absolutely know it's a thing. It's like a safari park where you take your own car and you drive through basically simulated savannas and jungles and stuff like that to see the animals. And they're like, roll up your windows because there's nothing between you and the animals.
1: That's so – it's interesting to me. Yeah.
0: I think you have to go certain places to do that nowadays because in modern times, too many people probably take advantage of that.
1: There's this whole scene where – is it monkeys? Baboons. baboons. So they're they're driving through and, like, I think, like, giraffes are, like, afraid of him and they, like, run away. But the more important scene is when they're driving and baboons just attack
0: the car. Yes. So maybe apocryphally – But the story is, is that they needed to get this reaction out of the baboons. And remember, this is the 70s. Uh, And so what they do is... Cares about animals, right? Exactly. We just need to get the reaction they want. So a zookeeper takes one of the young. Now, a zookeeper interacting with the baboons is not unexpected. But taking the young and then putting them in the car is like, what did you do? We need to get our our young back, you know, our youth back. But nobody fucking gives a shit. None of the baboons react at all. So instead, he takes the young baboon back and then takes one of the dominant males and puts him in the car with them. And they're in the back seat and they're crouched down so you can't actually see them. But that's what made the whole entire pack just flip out they weren't I don't think expecting quite a big reaction as they got and so you know it's one of those the terror you see in their faces is real kind (laughs) of
1: things (laughs) that's kind of the part where the mother is just like "Uh, what is going on Yeah, why are these weird things happening around my son Yeah," and she goes to Gregory Peck and she's like I think I really need to see a therapist I'm having these weird fears Something is wrong. I want to talk to somebody. So now Gregory Peck is kind of worried about his wife already. And the priest shows up again. Yes. And he tells him, she will die unless you come and meet me. Your wife will die.
0: Yeah. And this this whole entire time, by the way, so the first time the priest shows up, that's when Gregory Peck runs into David Warner and knocks him down and uh, breaks one of his lenses. Right. But when the priest leaves, he's still there and he takes a picture of him. He calls out his name, father, or whatever, you know, and he looks and he takes the picture. And then he's there at this exchange too. And he takes his picture again.
1: So Gregory Peck goes to meet the priest. And the priest tells him, Your wife is pregnant, your son will kill the child.
0: Yeah, because he won't let her have another kid.
1: Kill your wife. And then, once he knows that he will inherit everything from you, he will kill you.
2: Yeah. He will not allow the child to be born. He will kill it while it slumbers in the womb. What in God's name are you talking about? Your son, Mr. Thorne. The son of the devil. He will kill the unborn child. Then he will kill your wife. And when he is certain to inherit all that is yours, then, Mr. Thorne, he will kill you. That's enough. And with your wealth and power, he will establish his counterfeit kingdom here on Earth, receiving his power directly from Satan.
1: <laughs> and Gregory Beck is just like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this information? Yeah,
0: he, he basically <laughs> says, no, you are nuts. <laughs> I'm insane. I never want to see you ever again. I never want to see you again.
1: So he leaves, and at the same time... Damien is at home, and he's on one of those little tricycles, just like the kid in the shining going round and round and round in circles, and the nanny is watching him, and then she just opens up the door, uh-huh, and the mother is watering plants that are hanging right above the fucking
0: that exists.
1: I guess they have so
0: in this very large house, they have their entryway, their foyer, and they have the stairs that go up either side. And they have this railing up at the top with a walkway. And the hanging plants hang above this railing. So they kind of line that side of the foyer. And there's like, what do you call them? The little hallway tables. They're like end tables. End tables. But yeah, it, it's lined in the hallway where there are goldfish in this one. That I would say is a little bit more bizarre. But in order to get to this plant, she climbs up on top of this end table.
1: But I I just feel like you're asking for an accident. Yeah. Like, even if this was just a normal everyday movie, I'd be like, that's super fucking dangerous. Here's
0: the thing about that. (laughs) They debated whether or not to include the Mrs. Baylock character. Okay. Because she is, out of all of them, well, I mean, if you think back, she's the only one that is overtly sinister. There's the crazy nanny. That's the closest that you get. The first one who kills herself. But otherwise, what characters are overtly sinister? The only one that we actually see on screen being sinister is Mrs. Baylock. Theoretically, if she wasn't in the movie, there would be a new undercurrent of, is something really the matter? Or are they paranoid? And that leads the father to lose his mind first of all they loved her billy whitlaw they loved her acting and all of that but it's also to be presumed that if there is some sort of sinister cabal looking to raise the antichrist that they would have somebody inserted into the family to watch over the child That absolutely just, it totally makes sense the, the idea that they would orchestrate everything and then just leave it up to the whims of the parents to you know yeah. not gonna happen so the fact that there is the bla- the Baylock character, it, again... It makes sense.
1: It does. It does make sense. But, but I that, kind of love the idea of them being like, am I crazy or is yeah, this real? Uh-huh. But again, you can't convince me that that kid did not do it on purpose.
0: Because
1: <laughs> she
0: he hits the end table, she tumbles off, but she grabs onto the railing and she's asking him to help her and he just stares at her. Mm-hmm. And then she slips and she falls. Now... She refused to do a false stunt. They had it set up to where she could, but she refused to do it. They do something very similar to uh, that scene in Psycho where the detective falls down the stairs where the camera tracks with the actress, Lee Remick. And basically what they did, this is fascinating to me, what they did is they made a wall look like the floor of the house and they put her on a dolly and they just pushed her towards the wall and they made, and, and the, the camera was attached to that dolly. And then she just slams down on the ground, which I thought was, was the fall is surreal because of the way they filmed it. But I thought the landing looked realistic. The added effect when she's hanging there of the, the goldfish bowl shattering on the ground. I thought that was, that was, a lovely effect. So mom is in traction. She does not die. <laughs>
1: she does not die, but she loses the baby.
0: Yes, which is the first time that Gregory Peck gets confirmation from anyone other than that priest who came out of nowhere and sounds crazy that she was actually pregnant. But she's not pregnant anymore.
1: No. And when she's in the hospital, she whispers to Gregory Peck, don't let him kill me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the implication is that she's really aware of what she's saying, though, because later she seems very confused when he yeah, wants her to she's, leave. she's
0: out of it. and yeah. So
1: maybe it was kind of a subconscious thing. Yeah. So Gregory Peck comes home and the dog is still there. Yeah. And he's about to get pissed about it. And Baylock's like, oh, don't worry, they're coming to get him tomorrow. Again, you're fucking fired. I told you to get rid of that dog forever well, ago. No,
0: he said, call the RSPCA. <laughs> it's not up to her when their schedule makes it to where the, the the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. They're that the society that that dude works for on the <laughs> Kitten Rescuers or whatever it is that we watch on Netflix.
1: So he's starting to wonder if this prophecy that he has been told is true. And did I skip? No. Okay.
0: <laughs> David Warner calls Thorne. Gregory Peck and asked to meet him. And what he does is he shows him the pictures that he's been taking and he shows him first three important ones. One is the nanny where there's this dark mark on all the photographs that come down from the top and then wrap around her neck as if they were a noose. The other one is the first time he saw the priest. And there's a, Kind of a, a line coming towards him, pointing towards him. And the next time he sees him, there's a much longer line. What we didn't talk about – oh, fuck. This, we did skip this. What we didn't talk about is after Gregory Peck met with the priest, wind started picking up around the priest. I was going to say. Is that what yes, I sk- – I think I skipped, skipped that. that. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Uh, and the
1: fame another famous shot
0: yeah and a, and a, and this crazy storm comes up and he's rushing back to his uh his church but the gate won't open and he has to climb that none of the doors open and uh lightning strikes a lightning rod at the top of the church shattering it which it's not supposed to do it comes down and it <laughs> Goes right through his body at the same angle that this line in the picture makes. And
1: this is one of those parts where I'm like, really? He just stands there and like screams. It's a famous, famous shot of oh, him and it's, looking oh. up at the at the camera, having his hands up and his his eyes just, are wide and he's it's screaming. Just
0: deer in headlights.
1: But he just stands there. Some people,
0: <laughs> there's there's. People talk about the fight or flight response. Those aren't the only two responses. There are three responses in general. I'm sure there's actually more than that. It's fight, flight, or freeze. Some people freeze when their their minds just go, and they, they can't do anything when they're overwhelmed like that. The next thing that he does is he takes him to where the priest lived. He was there to take photographs of the crime scene for the newspaper, not the crime scene, but the, the residents, uh, when the police break broke in, and there are just crosses and Bible pages everywhere. Like and, he's
1: trying to keep something yeah, out. Yeah,
0: especially on the door. And David Warner says something to the effect of, like, it's trying to keep something out, don't you think? And Thorne basically says, I'm, i am I got to do something about this. I have to investigate. The original hospital or whatever Because David Warner did his own investigation And clued into the fact that maybe the child Was not his And When Thorne decides, I gotta do something about this He's gonna rush off on his own And David Warner's like I'm coming with you Gregory Peck's like, no, I'm not including you In this David Warner says, I'm already included I don't know whose son
2: I'm raising if you wouldn't mind, Mr. Thorne, I'd like to help you try and find out. No, it's my problem.
0: No, say you're wrong. It's my problem, too. And what do you mean? Well, when I was in here before with the police, I got a picture of myself when I in a mirror that was on the wall. And when I developed it, here's what I saw. And he shows him the picture. And it's this shape right at his neck this light flash that looks like a like a triangle coming at his neck. Yeah. So he's like now there's a new omen. <laughs> the word omen is not said anywhere in this entire movie.
1: And I hate that it's called the omen.
0: Really? Yes. Would would the birthmark be better?
1: Yes, because an omen, as far as I understand it, is something that needs that happens that's like foreshadowing what's to come. And I get that like on a, on a metaphorical level, you could say that he is Damien is an omen for what's going to come later, but he's also what's coming. So he's not really an omen. Also an omen requires you to be aware of it.
0: It doesn't require you to be aware of it. You fall prey to it. If you're not aware of it. And that's the problem. He it's all about the signs that point towards this kid. Being evil. And that's what Gregory Peck needs to key into. And he takes him the whole movie to do so. In any case, the movie was originally going to be called The Antichrist. But for a lot of the locations where they were filming, they wouldn't be allowed to film places with a name like The Antichrist, especially in churches and stuff like that, where they did film quite a bit. So while they were filming, they called it The Birthmark. And then they thought, well, that's a pretty lame name. <laughs> and they changed it to The Omen. <laughs> David Seltzer admitted that the poem is entirely fictitious. It's not that the priest recites. It's not in the Bible at all. But the Bible talking about, you know, the the, the Antichrist coming, like, that's there. At one point, Gregory Peck and David Warner talk about the prophecy that, that – Relates to the Antichrist existing, you know, coming from the world of politics as the great sea, the raging sea, or whatever it is, and, and all of that.
2: It's more sense. The Jews have returned to Zion and there has been a comet. Unless for the rise of the Roman Empire, scholars think that that could well mean the formation of the common market, the Treaty of Rome. Well, bit of a stretch. Yes, well, what about this? In Revelations, it says he shall rise from the eternal sea. Well, that's the poem again. From the eternal sea, he rises, creating armies on either shore. That was the beginning of it. And theologians have already interpreted the eternal sea as meaning the world of politics. The sea that constantly rages with turmoil and revolution. So the devil's child will rise from the world of politics.
0: They decide that they need to go off together and go to Rome To figure this all out. And he sees his wife and he's like, I have to go. Love you. Bye. Yeah. And because he feels that, yes, he could theoretically be there every minute of every day. But the more effective way to protect her is to find out what's going on.
1: Proactive.
0: Yes. So he goes to Rome with David Warner. And they go to the hospital. And it's just not there. There's a completely different building. And their cab driver is like, oh, there, there is a fire here. It burned down. And so they go to where the, the hospital, like, relocated. And it's all this new, fancy, there's like a dumbwaiter elevator that, that the nurse takes. It's kind of interesting. It's
1: very strange. Yeah,
0: it's just kind of like constantly going up and down. And you just hop on it. <laughs> it's very weird.
1: I guess it's like an escalator, basically. Yeah, I guess,
0: yeah. And she tells him, no, the whole place burned down. It was an inferno. Many people died. And then David Warner finds out that the fire started in the records room, which is what they were trying to get a hold of is the birth records to find out who the the kid's mother is and all of that. And he's like, oh, what about the priest? Is he still alive? And the nurse is like, Oh, yeah, no, he survived. He's at such and such place. So they go to this monastery where the priest is, and they find him, and he's all burnt up, and he can hardly talk, and he can't move, but he has, like, a piece of coal chalk or whatever.
1: Also, the guy mm-hmm. who takes care of him says, we're taking care of him until he dies, and all he wants is to be forgiven, which is what the other priest also said, that he wanted to be forgiven. Yeah, yeah. Here is a big issue that I have. They never explain why they chose to do this.
0: Oh, I'm totally fine with that. You want to waste all the time like, okay, now let's do a flashback to explain a completely different character who only needs to get the 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 plot moving in the actual main storyline, but we need to take all this time out of the story to talk about his motivations. Like no. I but think the why, mystery of it all is why important. are they
1: begging for forgiveness after what they've done? They've brought about the apocalypse. Like you don't get. Well, I mean, maybe God will forgive you. I don't know. But
0: they have second thoughts now that it's in motion, and they realize all the stuff that they've done. Their guilt weighs on them, but they don't have that guilt until after they do something. That's what guilt's all about.
1: And it took five years for them to be like, maybe we shouldn't have done that.
0: Honestly, I think it's the death of the. The nanny, which spurs that first priest into action because he sees the death and he's like, oh, my God, it's actually happening. And that's when his guilt takes over. So
1: why did he stay a priest all that time?
0: And to get him close to God?
1: I, I In order to believe in it, Satan. I find it fascinating mm-hmm. that you are so not interested in why
0: a man of God. No, I think it's better storytelling to leave it up to your imagination. I think it would be heavy handed to get into all these motivations. It's unnecessary to tell the story that we're talking about. Do you like all the druid shit in Halloween? You do, don't you?
1: I think it could have been done better. <laughs>
0: But the, but the point is, when you have multiple, multiple movies, you can get into the explanations. And that's kind of where The Omen goes, right, in in the sequels. There's two sequels to The Omen. So, like, they have the time to get there. But in this first movie, just like in the first Halloween, they do not explain why he's evil and why he seems to have a supernatural power. Well, they, don't, they don't do he's it. He's
1: the son of the devil. That's not confusing at all.
0: I, don't, I think that's a metaphor. Oh, you mean Damien is the son of the devil? Yeah. No, no. I, I'm talking about in Halloween, specifically. They do not get into the backstory. They wait until sequels to tell that story. Because right now, we need to stay focused on the matter at hand. What is the story we're telling? We're telling the story of a babysitter who's tormented by a killer. We do not need to divert so much time and attention and effort and plot to why he's evil or why you know who who's the secret society who's behind his power like it's the same thing halloween did we
1: can agree to disagree (laughs) (laughs) kelsey yeah i love you i love you
0: so anyway he writes down half of a word and the caretaker is like oh i know what that is that's an old cemetery from the from the Etruscan times. And here's where it is. So they go to this old ruined cemetery. They hop the fence and they find a grave marked with the same dates. And they open it up and there's an animal's bones in the grave. This tied to what the other priest said, his mother was a jack Gives us the implication that he was born of a jackal. It wasn't until I saw the remake again. Now, keep in mind, I've seen the remake twice. I've seen this movie maybe four times. I've never thought about that. How he was born of a jackal. I thought they just needed a body to bury. And that's the ruse, right? It's all about lying, so like, I just... You know, went into that, and it's like, no, that's literally the jackal that gave birth to a baby, and that's that's where the child. So when that happened, there are these priests that are like, "Oh my god, this is the antichrist."
1: <laughs> I think I knew in the back of my mind that it was an animal that they they dug up, but like I like I said, I've never before this I had never seen the entire thing all the way through. But I think in the back of my mind, I knew that they found animal remains. Yeah. But when he said it was a jack, I immediately was like, oh, it was a jackal.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But it's not a line I think about. <laughs> I don't know why.
1: And when Chris said that in the remake, I was like, yeah. What? what? <laughs> I couldn't believe that you didn't understand. Well,
0: because we just assumed he was a jackal. And uh, people speak in metaphors all the time. But especially when you're talking about you know, prophecy, that prophecy is all metaphor. So, like, when he says his mother was a jackal, I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. And when he actually – I'm like, yeah, he probably said jackal, and I didn't think anything of it. But when they went out of their way to say it again and say the whole word in the remake, I was like, oh, no. Okay, literally, because I had just seen the movie already. When it happens in that order, beginning of the movie, his mother was a jack, in the the middle of all this other stuff. And then, you know, an hour and ten minutes later, they find – Animal remains in a cemetery, and the whole thing is all about lying. And these people aren't really who they say the people are. And I was just like, oh, they just needed to bury. Like, I don't connect the two. But then, after I've seen the, the animal body, I hear a dude say jackal. I'm like, oh, it literally is a jackal. <laughs> I know, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I don't know what else I could say. <laughs> and they find a small grave next to it. He's like, this has got to be my son. And he opens it up, and they do, in fact, find the remains of a baby with its skull fractured. And he's like, the sons of bitches killed him. They murdered my son. They murdered him as soon as he was born. Murderers. Murderers. And the whole picture is forming in front of him. So they decide to see Bugenhagen. Bugenhagen is who that first priest told Thorne to go see in the town of Megiddo. Uh, Megiddo, which derives its name from Armageddon. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there's an archaeologist there named Bugenhagen who they, who they meet. And he's like, oh, yeah, you guys, let's... This is how you got to kill your kid. (laughs) (laughs) And he gives them basically a collection of knives and he tells them about the Mark 666. This is something that David Warner had found on the body of the first priest. He had on his thigh a 666 and they're like a tattoo said Gregory Peck. And he's like, no, according to the biopsy, it was a birthmark.
1: Which, again, opens up a whole other yeah, can of uh-huh. worms for me that I know you don't give a shit about, so.
0: But I think that's part of the reason why they're motivated to behave the way that they do is because they are, they from birth, they were destined to fulfill this role. I don't think a lot of it, I think this points to it not just being a decision that a priest made. I think it was, no, this is my function.
1: Then why do they feel guilty about it?
0: okay anyway he gives them all the knives and says this is how you do it one in the heart that's the center of the cross and then they radiate outwards from there Gregory Peck is like oh my god this is (laughs) like you before I was so angry and I was so confident but now that you're actually explaining to me literally what I have to do is stab my child to death with multiple knives in the shape of a cross, I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. (laughs) Bugenhagen is like, well, you can confirm it. Look for the 666. And he's like, hey, ha ha, ha ha. He is my child. I bathed him. I've seen every inch of his body. There is no 666. And Bugenhagen's like, well, then it has to be under his hair.
1: And that's another thing that I don't believe. You wash his hair. Let alone haircuts.
0: Yeah. But he's had hair his entire life, even when he was a newborn.
1: Anyway. Continue.
0: So they leave with the knives, and he still feels like he can't do it. They get into an argument, and he throws the knives away.
1: And another famous scene.
0: Yes. David Warner's like, fine. If you won't do it, then I'll do it. And he goes to get the knives, pick them up, and they're in this like construction area where they've fallen this truck, in neutral, (laughs) like rolls down the hill backwards and it's carrying this giant sheet of glass and it crashes and the sheet of glass comes out just as David Warner's looking at it and it slices his head in half. Now they had one shot to do this. It would have been disastrous if they didn't get a good cut because to set this all up again would have been a lot of work. It would have been very expensive. And it just so happened that on this shot, Something they weren't even anticipating, the head did that spin, which is awesome.
2: <laughs> so
0: cool. So now David Warner's dead and everyone's like freaking out. And Gregory Peck's like, oh, my God. <laughs> he scoops up the knives and he scurries off. Now, at this point, <laughs> we completely missed the part where, meanwhile, before all this happens, Gregory Peck calls home, calls his wife at the hospital and is like, you need to get out of there. Our son is the devil. <laughs> mm.
1: I don't think he says that. If he just I know. tells her,
0: you have to get come to Rome. Yeah, I will meet you in Rome.
1: And she's like, "What?"
0: Yeah, and she gets up to get ready, and the nanny has shown up, and she throws her out the window of this hospital, where she crashes into a car below. And he gets this call saying, "Your wife is dead." And that's when he's like. We need to kill this kid.
1: <laughs> but not the- before he knows for sure.
0: Well, no, and this this is when he goes to see Bugenhagen. So Thorne flies home and he has the knives in his lap because the TSA was not a thing in 1976. <laughs>
1: My grandpa remembers when you could just walk onto a plane with a gun. With a gun,
0: yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just hand it to them and they put it up in the in the top compartment for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he gets home. And he's like, all right, I got to do this. I got to kill my kid. And the dog's still there. He ends up tricking it and locking it in the it's basement. It's pretty great. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: It's, it's a lot another- better in here than it is in the remake.
0: It's, it's, it's a moment similar to the people under the stairs. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Where they trick the dog and close the door behind it. This is when he grabs the scissors and and he cuts away in the exact spot where it is, by yes, the way. Yes, that also yeah, bothered uh-huh. me. And he finds the three sixes. He's like, oh god, I have to kill my kid. There's the confirmation. And this is when Ms. Baylock shows up, ah! Ravenous, and just attacks him
1: <laughs>
0: as he's trying to carry away Damien. And they fight, and then they're fighting in the kitchen, and then he ends up Killing her with a knife from the kitchen that falls out of the drawer. I like this fight scene because it's very believable. It's not over choreographed. And then he gets in the car with Damien and he's speeding through town and Damien's struggling and crying and he's holding him down with one hand in the passenger seat. As he's driving, a cop sees him speeding. I don't like, like, because we're wrapped up in the moment and we know he's doing something that's dangerous and can get him in trouble. Like we just accept the fact that that cops are on his tail. But if you think about it, what happened is a cops like that guy speeding and chases after him with the lights on. And when he doesn't slow down, more cops show up, which makes the remake make zero sense. And we'll get into that when we talk about the remake. So he has all these cops chasing after him. He grabs, he stops at this church because it has to be done on an altar of God. He carries Damien kicking and screaming into the church and he's like, no, daddy, don't do it Don't, daddy And he takes the first knife And he lifts it up And he goes to, to stab him when the, when the police come in And they're like, stop, and they fire
2: No, daddy, no God, help me Please Stop, stop, or I'll fire
0: and we don't see what happens necessarily but it's very obvious he's shot right before he can do anything and we see a funeral it is the funeral of both Thorne and his wife because he's a a politician and he was probably in the war it's a arlington national ceremony cemetery
1: even though he was shot trying to kill his child
0: yeah now you would think that that would be a dishonorable thing <laughs> and you wouldn't you know whatever but here's the thing. He was an important member of the American government and apparently close relations to the president. Close enough to where the president and his wife adopt Damien, or that's the implication.
1: Yes. Famous last shot of him holding the hand of the president at the funeral.
0: And his wife, funeral. Yeah, and the first lady.
1: And turning and smiling at the camera.
0: Now, the story is, is that Richard Donner, in order to get these reactions out of him, would have to, like, trick him into giving certain reactions. Mm -hmm. And in this story, he says something to the effect of, you know, like, do not laugh. I swear to God, if you laugh, you and I will never be friends. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's this sort of reverse psychology thing. Mm -hmm. And that's that's why instead of a smile, it's like straight face. A mischievous face.
1: smile. Yes,
0: a straight face and then a grin comes across his face because he's trying – if if you look at it in that context, you can see that he's trying not to smile. Yeah. And that's what – when he does smile is what gives him this really good mischievous grin on his face. That's awesome. It's, it's really, really cool. In the original ending of the movie, apparently, before the working script that they actually took in – it's again, this may be apocryphal – he was going to succeed and he was going to kill his kid. We cannot have you killing a child at the end of this movie.
1: They would rather have the devil's That's son.
0: The irony. The irony is, instead, they bring about the apocalypse.
1: I feel like that can't be true. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know. Again, I say it may be apocryphal. It
1: sounds ridiculous. I agree.
0: I agree. It is a little bit
1: ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I don't believe it.
0: I don't blame you. All right, Kelsey. Lightning round.
1: When he first leaves for um, Italy, he's talking to uh, Baylock, And he's saying that, you know, I got to go or whatever. And she goes, I can see the things. And the look on Gregory Peck's face is perfect. It's just like, yeah, I bet you can, you fucking bitch. Like, I, like <laughs> he doesn't necessarily believe it yet, but like, he does not like this lady.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, we talked in the last episode about how, interestingly, one of the first films that Steven Spielberg did that he was heavily involved in, he might as well have been the director, that wasn't John Williams uh, composing the score, was done by Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith did the score for this as well. Now, the story goes that he d- decided he wasn't going to go to the Oscars that year because he had been nominated several times. And lost every single time. Uh, And he decided he just wasn't going to do that again. But he went anyway. And it's the only Oscar he's ever won. He won the Oscar for score on that one.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: I mentioned how Gregory Peck wanted to play the role of a tortured and guilty father. Because that's what he was going through at the time. Due to the death of his son. He also is one of many people who have done this in the past, took a low fee to perform.
1: Smart move.
0: And instead took 10% of the gross. It's the most he's ever been paid in his entire career as a result of that. He made millions of dollars off of it.
1: It's an excellent idea. Yeah.
0: uh I also talked about how David Seltzer was – thinking about maybe removing Mrs. Baylock because she's the most overtly sinister thing in the movie. The idea is that you start to wonder what's real and what what isn't. Is this just paranoia is is Gregory Peck's character going crazy? You know, are is he being influenced by all these people around him into believing something that's not true? Another thing that he made certain is when they when they did the translation in the movie that there wasn't anything that they put in the movie that couldn't actually happen in real life. Meaning, he didn't want anything in there that suggested, oh, the only way this could happen is if it was supernatural. Like in Poltergeist, I guess, inverse from Poltergeist, where everything is just overtly supernatural, he wanted the opposite. Nothing flies, nothing moves of its own accord, like, things happen and there is influence but nothing is overtly supernatural.
1: A jackal had a human baby.
0: No, <laughs> somebody said its mother was a jackal, and they found the body of a jackal in a gravesite. Sure, baby. Remember when I watched it and I wasn't—I never made that connection. You don't see a jackal giving birth to a child. Like that's—that's that's the point. Is you—you you have to wonder—is this real or not? You should be able to to go through the movie thinking, just like. Gregory Peck does of this isn't real. This isn't real. It's not actually happening. You should be in his position and you only get real confirmation the same time he does when you do find that birthmark on his head. I also wanted to mention that there is a quote from David Seltzer that says, I did it strictly for the money. I was flat broke. I do find it horrifying how many people believe all this silliness. Now I say that to say this. Just like Poltergeist, probably more so. And just like The Exorcist. This is one of those movies where there's this story where it's cursed. It's actually cursed. Now, this one, it could go either way. First of all, both Gregory Peck and David Seltzer were in planes that were hit by lightning as they were flying to England. Sounds impressive, but planes get hit by lightning all the time. Sometimes that might cause them to divert. They might have to land just to check everything out and make sure it's okay. But generally speaking, planes are not destroyed or, you know, like it's not some omen. Every single plane in the world on average gets struck by lightning twice a year. Like it's not, it's not a huge deal and it's not as uncommon as you would think. One of the producers claims to have almost been struck by lightning. I don't know how much I believe that.
1: Did it hurt? Yes, yes. <laughs> it hurts a lot.
0: <laughs> what was that from? We just watched that. What was that on? Magnolia. Yes. Uh huh. You got struck by lightning at one. So hurt. what? Yeah, I heard about that. Did it hurt? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> um, dogs on set attack their trainers. But then again. These are dogs that are trained to attack. It's what they do. It's what they're required to do in the film. So attacking the trainers, they've probably done that their entire lives. So I'm not like, whatever. This is bigger. <laughs> a hotel where Richard Donner was staying was bombed by the IRA. He got into a car accident. Gregory Peck, when he was going to fly to Israel, when I think they were they going to film the scenes that take place in Jerusalem, Uh, He was going to fly to Israel to film those, and he chartered a plane, or he was on a chartered plane, or he was going to be. He ended up canceling the trip for one reason or another. That plane crashed, killing everyone on board. On the first day of shooting, members of crew got into a car accident. John Richardson, who was a special effects artist, was in a car accident after the film when when the film was in post production uh, and on the set of A Bridge Too Far, and his girlfriend was beheaded.
1: Jesus.
0: But again, how far do you go? (laughs) Like, the movie's done filming. That dude's job is done. Like, are we just eventually, everyone dies? It's a curse. In any case, there's also a story where...
1: You're doomed, he Yes,
0: doomed. There's also a story where those baboons, uh, when they go crazy, a zookeeper uh, got in the middle of it to prevent anyone from getting hurt, and he, in fact, was killed himself. Now, <laughs> the thing about all these stories is either A, they're totally common and can be explained away, or B... There's no proof that they ever happened. Like the zookeeper. There's another story where instead of a zookeeper with the baboons, it was a zookeeper in the lion area who was killed the next day. And again, if anyone dies at that zoo, (laughs) is it going to be part of the omen curse? (laughs) But there's also, like, there's no corroborating evidence of, of any of the stuff that's not like, yeah, planes get hit by lightning. It happens. Like... So I I never do buy into any of this crap, but this one has a ton of examples of potentially a curse surrounding it, more so way more than Poltergeist does. So, Kelsey, now that we've been talking for an hour and 45 minutes, don't worry, guys, uh, you might be surprised to see how far along you are in the episode. I'm going to cut a lot of that stuff out. (laughs) What do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? Eighty-three. Eighty-six. The Omen eschews an excess of gore in favor of ramping up the suspense and creates an enduring dread-soaked horror classic along the way. Metacritic of sixty-two. Overrated or underrated?
1: Maybe slightly overrated.
0: Okay, what would you give it?
1: I'm going to give it a seventy-nine.
0: Can't quite creep into the eighties for you?
1: No, I think it's very good. I think it's well-acted. I think it's an interesting story. I think it's a pillar in horror history. And there's a lot of things that really bug me about it. I I don't... I know you don't care. I care. I want to know why this happened. I want to know why these people decided to do this. And why they decided to try and change things when it was too late. I hate that... Baylock is so obviously a person you would fire, and yet they don't. (laughs) I I, I think that they handle her much better in the remake, even though I have my own qualms with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm struggling with this one. I would give it... You know what? There's not a lot of complaints I have about this movie. There really aren't. I wouldn't say it's as good as Poltergeist, but I'd say it's around that for me. But I have more fun watching Poltergeist. It's just a much more fun movie to watch.
1: Yeah, there's a lot.
0: This movie has more dread. Yes. Right? So it's not as fun to watch because it just kind of feels like, ugh. But it's intentionally that way. And it is really creepy. And I think it's much creepier than Poltergeist.
1: Yes. it's, But it's, like you said, it's not as entertaining.
0: Yeah. So I think... Because it's on the level of poltergeist, I'll give it a 90. Okay. I really, really like this movie quite a lot. And I hope you enjoyed it, too. So that is 1976's The Omen. Man, that's a lot of stuff. (laughs) Uh, But before we move on to its 2006 remake, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition.
1: Who directed 2002's 28 Days Later? Danny Boyle. That is correct.
0: Yep. Who directed Cloverfield, 2008?
1: It's the guy who did Star Wars, right? Or Star Trek?
0: Good guess. Or both. <laughs> Good guess, What's no. What's that guy's name? J.J. J. Abrams. Yes. That's the first name that came to me, too. But no.
1: Okay. He did both, right? Star Wars and Star Trek? J.
0: Yes, J.J. J. Abrams.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: What if I told you that this person also directed Felicity, but he is probably most well-known for directing the second and third Planet of the Apes movies? And what if I told you he's the guy who's directing the next Batman movie? No, nothing. Matt Reeves is his name. Sure. He also directed the remake, which you don't like simply because it is a remake. (laughs) Of uh, Let the Right One In. He directed Let Me In.
1: It's not as good. It's fine. I actually think she's pretty good in it. Yeah. Chloe Greats Moritz. Yeah,
0: but Let the Right One In is just so good. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. But again, it's foreign, and to get American audiences to watch a movie that's really good, you need to remake it. All right, Kelsey. Yeah. Moving on to 2006's The Omen. Of note, it was released June 6th, 2006 on 666. Ooh! There were screenings of the original that was on June 6th, 1976, which is 666 as well. June 6th is Damien's birthday. He was-
1: Sorry, but it's a lot better in Rosemary's Baby because it's June 6th. Of 1966. 66.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of sixes. There's a lot of talk about sixes in these movies. Uh, okay, so.
1: Rosemary's Baby is Better. <laughs> Which is why the remake makes me so sad.
0: Still written by David Seltzer. Directed by John Moore and starring Liev Schreiber, Julia Stiles, Seamus Davy Fitzpatrick, and David Thulis. I always like saying his name like that, because it just doesn't look like a name should be shaped the way this name is shaped. (laughs) Professor Lupin.
1: (laughs) I love that when I was like, isn't that Dumbledore? You were like, yeah, and that's been Lupin the whole time. I was like, oh, (laughs) right.
0: Yes, Dumbledore plays (laughs) Bugenhagen. In any case, we already know what the omen is about should people see this version.
1: I don't think there's really much of a need to. No,
0: if you saw the last one, yeah.
1: Don't I don't think that I'm gonna rag on this. I, I mean, no, it, it's
0: just unnecessary. It's
1: very unnecessary. It's, it's not
0: it's, that it's bad. It's just like you saw you saw the the first and better one. Yeah. Why would you watch this one? Yeah. <laughs> Why did we watch this one?
1: <laughs> yeah, like it, literally, like there's a there there are things about it that I was like, that was a weird choice. But like honestly, I, I just felt like I was just rewatching. Yeah. The first one.
0: Yeah, with with very minor changes, like almost inconsequential changes.
1: But it's not like a shot-for-shot remake. It's not. It's not as frustrating as when we watched the shot-for-shot remake of Funny Games, because it's not that way. But it doesn't do anything to the story that makes it any really huge differences or better.
0: And it's not, I gotta say, I said this while we were watching it. It's not a great Julia Stiles performance, either.
1: Yeah, the, there were some strange acting choices, which yeah. I think is probably its biggest flaw. It's just like, why? It's almost like they just wanted to have like a different tone than the original.
0: Yeah, maybe.
1: But why? <laughs> and
0: there are several moments in the movie, I'll call out one or two, Where it's obvious that they're just going through the motions and they're doing things because the original did it, but because of the way they did it in the new version, it's obvious they had no idea why it was done in the original, and that kind of bothered me. But again, it's not a bad movie. I remember seeing it in 2006 and being like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But – If you saw the first one, don't waste your time unless you need more Omen, Mm -hmm. in which case you can probably watch the second and third ones.
1: Never seen them.
0: Neither have I.
1: (laughs) I'm sure they're awful.
0: (laughs) I'm sure they are, too. But in any case, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about June 6, 2006's The Omen.
2: There's something about Damien. Something's not right. What has happened was prophesied in the Bible. He'd kill before. Damien! He'll kill again. Who? Your son? The son of the devil.
1: When I close my eyes, I see horrible things. Don't let him
2: kill me.
0: The Omen. Rated R. All right, Kelsey. hmm Let's talk about Omen from 2006. It's the same movie, but not as good. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? (laughs) (laughs) Like, the plot is identical.
1: Well, there are small differences.
0: Yeah, there are are small differences, but the plot is... Like, Poltergeist was more different than this is. I,
1: I don't know about that. For example... At the beginning, they tell him your wife will not be able to have another child, which they don't say in the original, and I don't know why they included it.
0: <laughs> I guess as further motivation to do this thing, because it's not like you can just have another kid.
1: We also start with like a, a priest like going over all this stuff about why... Oh. <sighs> The end of the world is imminent.
0: My first note is this opening montage of the Vatican researcher is a bit much.
1: Oh, yeah, it's really bad. And then
0: he gives this presentation in front of the Pope about how he thinks that Armageddon is coming and all the all the examples he gives. And more than half of them are fulfilled in America. Oh, coincidence of coincidences. I noticed that
1: as well. I just think it's funny that, like, we so badly want something to blame for inhumanity. We don't want it to just be that humanity sucks. Well, the devil's obviously coming. Yeah. All these shitty things are happening. Uh-huh.
0: It can't just be that people suck.
1: Yeah, but also I just love that like there's never a. It's just a oh the devil's coming. We better we better prepare ourselves. It's like where is God? Where is God in all of this?
0: Yeah, uh huh.
1: He's just chilling like prophecy man. Nothing I can do about it.
0: Speaking of prophecy, is prophecy on the list?
1: It can be. With added. Christopher Walken? It can be added if you want it to be. I would
0: love it to be. Okay. I love that entire series. Unironically, since I was little. <laughs> Eternity.
2: Here. In that sagging skin suit. Or one more day with me. Why? Can't drive. But I can wait stars burn out for you to make
1: up your mind. And then it took me watching it for the second time for me to discover an enormous plot hole. What's that? Why would the priest even tell him, leave Schreiber this time? Yes. <laughs> Why would the priest even tell him that the child isn't his?
0: Yeah, Kelsey was like, oh, I don't know if I can enjoy this anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> like. that
0: one plot hole.
1: If he didn't tell him, most of this story wouldn't even fucking happen. Or at least a lot of it. Or it would be very different.
0: Yeah, it w- it would probably be a little bit different. But they need to communicate it to the audience somehow. And this is important to me. Personally, I think communicating a story effectively is more important than the semantics of the plot.
1: Than the believability of it?
0: No, I'm not saying that. Uh, What you're saying is it would have been better for the priest to have done this and better does not mean it's the only option that any person would ever do. It doesn't make it a plot hole. And even if it was a plot hole. It doesn't mean that the movie is bad because movies need to take certain things into account. Like how do we communicate an idea to the audience Right? How do we get this message out to the audience if characters aren't doing something or talking about it?
1: But what I'm saying is, if this were a real thing, why on earth would he tell him it's not his kid? Why not just tell him, this is your kid? How the fuck would he know?
0: Yeah. No, you're right. You are absolutely right. And then no movie? Which would you prefer?
1: <laughs> it's a giant gaping plot understand. I understand.
0: It's a, no, it's an open question. I wouldn't call it a plot hole. That's the thing. Just because he didn't do it the best way you could. Movies are full of people not doing things the best way you could.
1: Also, in this version, they chose to tell him that the mother was perfectly healthy. Oh, yeah? If she was perfectly healthy, why'd she die in childbirth?
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point.
1: And then we find out that. He's not going to become the ambassador to England.
0: No, he's the deputy ambassador to the court of St. James in England.
1: When they did that, I was very confused. And it's all so that they could have... Another kill. Another kill, another semi-action sequence. Another hint at devil's helpers.
0: What's happening is he works in some capacity for the ambassador to Rome or Italy. And so he's in Rome with him, and then they say, yeah, he was promoted to ambassador to the court of St. James, and his wife's like, uh, great. And he's like, no, 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 we're going with him. I'm going to be the deputy ambassador. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. And then before they even leave Italy, this ambassador is in a car, and there's, like, traffic. And, and there's, then like, a there's- homeless guy. Yeah. Dragon
1: shit. And creating fires.
0: Yeah, and he, <laughs> a homeless guy, like, throws out a, a cigarette, and then, like, a chalk on this truck gets moved, and it rolls downhill, and it's full of gasoline or something?
1: It's a very convoluted yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: it's so, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine <laughs> of death, and it it slams into the side of the ambassador's car, and it pours all this gasoline in it, and then this, this cigarette rolls down the hill and lights it all up and sets him on fire, and he dies. Now... He also looks at his watch. Now, remember, this is a Rube Goldberg machine of things happening. He's impatient, and he looks at his watch, and it turns 6.06 and six seconds. Okay. That's a little heavy-handed, but it especially doesn't make sense when that's when he's just idly looking at his watch. This whole series of events still needs to happen. He doesn't die until many seconds later. He just happened to look at his watch at 6.66. It has nothing to do with the actual event. So, that's a thing. Also, my immediate question was, okay, they hadn't even transferred to England yet. Why would the deputy just take the role? But then they explain it. Oh, he's the godson of the president. And it's nepotism. (laughs) (laughs) What else is different, Kels?
1: We talked about this a lot when we talked about the first one. The mother in this is right from the get-go uncomfortable with her son. Yeah. Whereas I feel like in the original, they really tried to make it seem like she really did love him and that like it was really hard for her to handle how she felt about her son. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, it just seems like right off the bat, what's-her-face, Julia Stiles doesn't like her kid.
0: <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the thing that I first pointed out, and it happens throughout the movie. I mentioned it in our previous segment, about how it does things because the first movie did them, but in the way that it does them, it proves that it has no idea why it's been done. We talk about a scene where the mom sees Damien with the child – sorry – sees Damien with the nanny, and everyone's taking pictures at his birthday, and the nanny is in all the pictures holding Damien. She notices this and is either – I don't think so, but is either A – I want to be in those photos. This is an opportunity for me to get in photos. I don't think that's the case. Or B is like, this is going to reflect poorly on me if I, his mother, am not the one in these shots and this rando is in them. So she goes and she takes the kid, right? And then they take photographs. In this one, they have a similar moment. People are taking photographs of Damien. She doesn't even notice it. She's not even looking at them. She just turns and immediately goes, oh, I'll take them. So they had a moment where the mom takes Damien from the the nanny at the party, just like the first one did. But none of the reason why. None of the character building, none of the... Like, it's a pointless moment now. (laughs) It's just, oh, turn, I see my child. Can I have my child? Like, there's no character... Like, they have no idea why this moment happened in the original film. They were just recreating it. And they, therefore failed at recreating it. And there's a few moments like this. (laughs) I just had to get that off my chest.
1: Before that, like there's a part where like he tries to scare his mother. And I feel like this movie also made it seem like Damien is, is, is woke, as we put it, is woke from the beginning. He doesn't need to see the dog. No. But there's this moment where he like scares his mother. And like, at first you think, He's doing it to be devilish, but then he's like,
0: did I scare you, mom? I didn't
1: mean to. Yeah. Like, it's just, no,
0: you it's jumped out and said, of... boo, motherfucker, you intended to scare her.
1: It's confusing. Yeah. Because kids really do do that kind of stuff. Yes.
0: And they'll disappear because they're playing a game with you and you have no idea where they went and you're freaking out. And then, <sighs> oh, yeah, no, I was just playing hide and seek with you and didn't tell you.
1: At the birthday party when we first see the dog, which is a different dog.
0: I was fine with it. I was like, oh, it's a black German shepherd. Neat. I'm fine with that. The dog that looks at the nanny and tells her to kill herself. But then the dog that shows up in the house is a Rottweiler again. Why? (laughs) Are these just random dogs now that just happen to be black and happen to be gathering?
1: All dogs work for the devil.
0: Right. But then the other dogs in in the cemetery... They're Rottweilers, too. So, like, it's just that one dog that changed. So it's not like they're communicating all black dogs or evil dogs or whatever. <laughs> like, I imagine the animal handler showed up on set with this German shepherd and the director was just like, wait a minute. I asked for a Rottweiler and the animal handler was like, what? This is a Rottweiler he's like, no, that's a German shepherd. No, it's a Rottweiler. Look at the teeth. It's so aggressive looking. It's, it's a it's a German shepherd. It's all the rest of the dogs in the rest of the film that we've already shot the scenes of. They're all Rottweilers. I can't just have a German shepherd. And then the animal handler's like, look, do you want the black dog or don't you want the black dog? And then they just like had to film it that way. It's the only explanation that makes any sense. I do not get it. I
1: don't know if you noticed, but the part where The nanny is looking at the dog. Saliva falls from his mouth?
0: Yeah, it's so random. And
1: there's a chime. (laughs) Ding. (laughs) What? Very odd. It was so odd I had to write it down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so in the first one I talked about how it seemed to me that Gregory Peck was more upset about the idea of the priest when he shows up and says his mother was a jack. Or in this case, jackal. He
0: actually gets the whole word out this time. I saw its mother. You saw my wife. No.
2: I saw its mother. You're referring to my wife. Its mother.
0: Mr. Thorn, its mother. Okay, that's enough. Sergeant, mm-hmm. his mother is a, a jackal. jackal. Which it, I gotta say, obviously, is more effective because... It finally fucking dawned on me. I
1: got it the first I know,
0: time. I understand, but obviously it is more effective.
1: In the original, it seemed like Gregory Peck was more upset about the idea that he's talking ill of his wife, whereas in this version it seems like he's more concerned about, is this blackmail, yeah. are you going to put this in the papers? Mm,
0: the optics of it.
1: So... I thought that was an interesting. His change.
0: Priorities are a little bit different. Yeah, I it's guess. just
1: it's just differently acted, and and I don't know why they made these different choices, but whatever. And I think that this movie was way more realistic with the new nanny. But before we get there, they have a conversation where leave Schreiber is talking to his wife Julia Stiles, and he's basically like, "Don't you want to bond with your son?" Like. You're not working. Do you really need a nanny? Mm -hmm. And it's a perfectly understandable question. Right. (laughs) Look, I get it. When you're rich and you can afford to have a nanny, it makes sense because especially since your husband is so busy and like Uh is practically never around.
0: Having the extra hands is really important. And I totally, totally get that.
1: Yeah, I understand it. But I also understand his question of, why do we need a nanny?
0: <laughs> right. Like you're not you're home all day. You're not a homemaker. You're like there's no way she cleans this enormous yeah, house by no. herself. <laughs> I,
1: I doubt she even does cooking. Like I doubt she does the cooking, I doubt she does the cleaning. And like I but said,
0: her, but her example, her her response is like being a mother is hard and it's a lot of work and it is a job. And he's and my response to that is yeah, that's why I'm suggesting you do it. Like, you don't have a job. Yes, being a mom is a job. Being a stay-at-home mom is a job. Absolutely. 100%. Love all you stay-at-home moms. Fantastic. But you can't say, I'm too busy to raise my child because my job is being a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) That does not work.
1: It's it's like I said – it's probably because he's so rarely at home. She never gets a break. She never gets co-parenting. Yes.
0: That totally makes sense. But why is that not the argument that's brought up? I in agree. The movie? It's
1: it makes her seem like I said it makes her seem less involved and interested. A
0: very uh, in not maternal at all. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But so they're they're looking for new nannies and she is interviewing nannies. Yes. And then one shows up and that's so much more believable than one lady randomly showing up and being I like disagree. the agency sent me
0: I disagree because an agency could be like, hey, you need a new nanny, here's a new nanny. Like why wouldn't that happen? You don't think that's weird. I don't think it's weird.
1: I think it's so weird. I'd be like, I need to see your qualifications. I need to call. I need to make sure you're a real person that works for this company. You are not getting anywhere near my child until I can verify. But there's
0: also weird implications that, yes, she was sent by the agency and no, she was not. Like, they're contradictory things that happen where she knows to show up. She knows when to show up. But the agency didn't send her resume but she has one so she hands it so wait was she sent by the agency or wasn't she and then when the mom's like i'm gonna check up on this stuff we never hear about it again so obviously everything's fine and she was sent by the agency so then what's the deal where they didn't send over her resume like these kind of contradictory things are happening and it's pointless they added these new elements to the movie and it makes it worse
1: i disagree i think it is far more realistic I think people make mistakes, and it's understandable that maybe a resume got lost somewhere along the in the shuffle.
0: just happens to be this one, yes, and so then then why things things happen, and mistakes happen all the time. Why don't we just fill the movie with people making mistakes? Why this one? Why is this one filmed? What is it communicating? obviously nothing, so why have it?
1: I think it's far more believable when they go in to meet Damien. And the phone rings, and so yes. Julia Styles has to leave you're rather right. than go and spend time with yes. my son by yourself, closed in his room without you're abso- me.
0: You're absolutely right. <laughs> so this whole entire time, we have not mentioned who the nanny is, Kelsey. Who is the nanny? Who is Mrs. Baylock?
1: <sighs> it's Mia Pharaoh. I'm really unhappy about it. <laughs> I feel like she's cheating on Rosemary's Baby by being in this. Uh Uh-huh. And I feel like if you want to use her, make a sequel to Rosemary's Baby. Show us what happened there.
0: They did make a sequel to Rosemary's Baby, and it was a TV... It was a
1: TV movie. Yeah. That nobody saw, and I don't think Mia Farrow's fucking in it. She's not. Now we have to see her raising the the child of the devil, but this time... She's into it. (laughs) And I'm not okay with that because Rosemary's Baby is a superior movie in every way. And so really bothers me that she decided to do this.
0: Or what else is different about this movie?
1: Again, when they are going to the church this time, way more believable. Instead of saying, I don't think you should take your child to a church. He's
0: feeling sick. He's
1: sick and he needs to stay home. Way more believable, and Julia Stiles seems more of a bitch this time because in the first one it's like, um, excuse me, you do not tell me how to raise my fucking child.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But now it's like I don't give a shit if my kid's sick, get him down here. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, like it almost makes her seem unreasonable. Yeah. Uh huh. And again,
0: makes her seem less maternal.
1: Again, yeah. sitting in the car. Oh my god, he looks. Something is wrong. It's the kid. <laughs> Is sitting there. There's <laughs> nothing about this child that seems like something is wrong until he's until he goes nuts. Yeah. Again, like you said, the movie, the people who made this one were like, "Yeah, they did that in the first one. I guess we'll do that in this one." <laughs> oh, God.
0: But I mean, largely, the rest of the movie plays out as normal.
1: Um. There's a little bit of a difference at the zoo. So at the zoo, this time it's like a field trip. And like already at that point, she's already afraid of her son. Yeah. So he's looking at monkeys again. And this time he whispers to his mom, they're afraid. They're afraid. Which would freak me
0: out. Yeah. <laughs> if my kids when said kids that. say creepy things, <laughs> they, they do. They do <laughs> say creepy fucking things. <laughs>
1: but uh then this giant gorilla attacks the glass and shatters it
0: yeah and we never we don't see what happens it just cuts immediately because that away.
1: would be too difficult right to have to show what actually happened Well, we have to
0: have a what now moment
1: exactly
0: there's an aftermath to that that i'm curious about and we don't get to see
1: <laughs> i wrote something but why the toothbrush Oh, because she has a... Okay, she's having a dream. There's a lot of dream sequences in the remake that are not in the original. Yes. And so... And it took Chris a while to figure out that she was in a dream. I figured it out really quickly. But Chris thought it was really happening. happening. It was very strange. I immediately figured out, okay, she's in a dream. That's why everything's weird. But she has the weirdest looking toothbrush in this scene. Yeah. And I'm like, why? If this... A dream sequence. It could just be a normal br- like Right. Br-
0: well, also, why does she need to be brushing her teeth? <laughs> why is that integral to the experience? <laughs> it's
1: not. To make it seem real. To make it seem like it's actually happening. To confuse audience members yeah. like yourself. I was
0: like, why would this be a dream? She's just brushing her teeth.
1: <laughs> now, in the original film, Damien doesn't really talk, but... He is always kind of put in a position where he really doesn't have to, and it doesn't seem unnatural. Yeah. Whereas in this film, there are a lot of times where she's just like, Damien? Damien? Damien! (laughs) He just stands there staring at her, and it's like, is he not allowed to talk in the remake? Yeah. Like, again, like Chris said, they saw, oh, he never talks. I'll keep that. That's creepy,
0: yeah. But Uh, they
1: don't understand Right, that they did it in such a way that it didn't it didn't seem odd that he wasn't talking. It
0: wasn't like no, there's something like wrong. Yeah, you need to I was take like, him to a doctor. Exa-
1: exactly. Yeah. I also disliked the difference that they made with the priest's death. When he tries to get into the church in the original, it's like he can't get over the fence or something. Well, shit. he has to
0: hop the fence, and then the doors are locked, which is unusual. Churches don't normally lock their doors. Normally, there's somebody always there. I mean, the whole point is that you're supposed to be inviting people to come.
1: Right. But in this one, the devil locks the door.
0: Yeah. Like, we see the door slamming shut or whatever. And we see
1: this big bar thing slide down. It's like,
0: I didn't need to see that explanation.
1: The devil would have no power in the church. If you are trying to tell me that, like, okay, God and the devil are real, and the devil is really trying to take over the world through his son... There is no way he would have any ability within the church. Yeah, That's love, God's domain. I love
0: that. I, you made that point. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like where you made the point earlier, where is God in all of this? It's a church. Why does Satan control anything? And it's directly contradictory to the first one where they intentionally made it to so where everything that happened is not obviously supernatural like it nothing's moving of its own accord or anything like that well they threw that out the window with this one so to me that's less creepy when i can see that the lock on the door is shutting on its own I'm like oh well now anything can happen true and that's less scary
1: mhm she does go to a therapist yep and this time she knows that she's pregnant and wants to have an abortion, which is not ever stated in the original. Yeah. She didn't, I don't think she knew she was pregnant in the right. original. But this time she's like, I'm not having any more children. If that thing came out of me, <laughs> yeah. I'm not having another one. Yeah. And then instead of having Damien hit his mother on the tricycle.
0: He's on a scooter. scooter. He's on like a razor scooter.
1: Which is fine, except that there's this weird scene Where Mia Farrow is feeding him strawberries? Yeah, is that supposed to be like a forbidden fruit thing?
0: It's also a little sexual, a little
1: bit. It's weird.
0: Yeah, but he's on a he's on a he's on a razor scooter, so this very narrow thing, which makes much less sense that he would bump into something accidentally. (sighs) It's even more evidence that he's doing it on purpose versus this tricycle, which has a wide.
1: Also, this time she falls from a much greater height.
0: Several stories.
1: Like, I don't believe she survived that.
0: Yes. Right, because in the first one, it's like, oh my God, this is how she dies. And it's like, no, she's just in traction. Like, now this one, make it, instead of one story, make it like three. <laughs> and she survived. Like, the first time I was surprised she survived. And now they made it even worse. Yeah. Dumbledore's is Bugenhagen. Uh, Oh, instead of a sheet of glass decapitating David Warner, a sign swings around and decapitates David Thewlis. So the way he dies is a little bit different. It's also a little bit more concealed to where nobody can see it. So, you know, it's down this little alleyway stairway thing. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway,
1: something terrified me. Something made me scream and I don't know what it was. I think it was in the next dream sequence. Something happened.
0: Did you really write that was scary and didn't write what it was? Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh no, I know what it was. Okay, I'm figuring it out by context. Okay. It's re it was really intense when Mia Farrow went in to kill the wife. Oh time. yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Because she is Okay, so she talks her way into the room past the security guard, because she brought Damien and some flowers, and they didn't want to let her in, but she convinces them to let her in. She gets in, she injects something into her tube. Air. She injects it in there, and we see it traveling the length of the tube, and she has her hand over Julia Stiles' mouth to where she can't scream and alert anybody. And then she ends up... It's really at, tense. You know, the alarm goes off and she turns it off. But, you know, it's 2006. All those systems in the hospital are interconnected. That alarm goes off on that one machine. That sets off an alert at the nurse's station. Yes,
1: just because it's tense doesn't make it believable. Right. <laughs> also, this happens after she just talked her way into the, the room. Right, like, there's and she no suddenly questions. dies. Yeah. Like, she obviously killed her.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the priest... In Italy, who was in the fire? The one who switched out the babies. He looks like fucking Voldemort in this one with with the makeup. It's way extreme, and I mean, I can I can understand what they're going for. With it, it's kind of like the difference in Freddy Krueger, where oh yeah, this looks a little bit more like a realistic burn victim, but it's way over the top in this. Way over the top.
1: I agree. There's also a part, and I can't remember what exactly happens, but something happens bad, and then the thunder comes down, like, oh, no. Like, dun, 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 type thing, but with thunder, and it's just like, oh, God, this is 2006, people. We're past this. Yeah,
0: after he reveals the 666 in Damien's scalp.
1: Which, again, he just knows where to cut. Uh
0: Uh-huh, he has a fight with Mrs. Baylock, but then he gets away, and he does not kill her there.
1: Just kind of great because the next sequence is really good. When oh, what he's driving,
0: oh. and she gets in front
1: of him. And it's just like "fuck you, bitch," and just rams right through <laughs> Yeah. And then, and then there's a gate, and it's just like "fuck you, gate," and then it goes <laughs> right through the gate. It made but that me so effect happy. Of her
0: spinning in the air was. Oh, Ooh, so with funny. the ragdoll physics, it was, it was just—yeah, but that's the problem. It's not supposed to be hilarious. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you, might, you might like pump your fist, like yeah, at something like this, but instead I laughed, and that's not what you're supposed to be going for. in a terrifying it's like movie, like the end
1: of Wish Upon.
0: <laughs> yes, it's almost exactly like the end of Wish Upon. Oh my god.
1: And then an odd choice at the very end when we see Damien with the president.
0: President's by himself.
1: Yeah, there's no Mrs. President.
0: There's no First Lady.
1: There's no Madam President. Which is
0: weird. But also, at least we get in the storyline, we get an explanation as to why he would take the kid. Not just like, one of my ambassadors has an orphan, I guess I'll take him. It's, he's my godson. Like, yeah, of course he would take his godson's child. Makes sense. I liked that they had that explanation. That's it for me. Yeah. Okay. So in the last one, I talked about how it's kind of unfortunate that what stops him from from killing his son is the fact that he was speeding. And then cops started chasing after him. And when he didn't pull over, more cops showed up. In this one, it's something similar. Except when the cops show up at the, at, the, at the church, like immediately, there's no time to prepare this. It's a fucking SWAT team <laughs> coming in with all this SWAT gear and all these, you know, assault rifles with, the, with the, to do this dramatic scene. But it doesn't make any fucking sense that a SWAT team would be here.
1: Yeah, it's because, or at least I assume it's because Bobbies are not allowed to carry guns.
0: That's a good point.
1: So that was probably their
0: way. To but he has his security it. detail. It could have been them. They're supposed to be protecting his son too. So if he was ever a threat to his son, they'd have to stop it. Like, why not just make it his security detail? If they if they make him having security a much bigger deal in this movie, which they do, why not just make them the ones who kill him? I don't know. Anyway, this movie was released, as I said before, on June sixth, two thousand and six. Uh, That is the 30th anniversary of the original and a 666 date. When I I remember when it came out, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, it's okay. Thinking this is the only reason this movie exists is because the date 666 is coming up and it's not going to come up again for another hundred years. So they need to take advantage of it. So that's the only reason this movie exists. I remember thinking at the time and seeing it again now. Yeah, I think that is the case. They were remaking a lot of horror movies around this time. And it's like, oh, 666 is coming up. Let's do The Omen. Do we have anything new or interesting to say? No! <laughs> also, Harvey Stevens, who is the first Damien, is in this one. He plays one of the reporters who's hounding him after the nanny commits suicide towards the beginning of the movie. He's the one who asks if, if the nanny was on drugs. Was she on drugs, Ambassador? So, Kelsey... What do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes?
1: 66.
0: I see what you did there. <laughs> 27%.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Even with the force of a... And they use quotes, which is a fucking offensive to me. Even with the force of a classic behind it. Remake Fever can't hold up the hollowness of this style-drenched omen. Metacritic of 43, cinema Score of C+. Overrated or underrated? I'd say
1: underrated. I would too. Twenty seven percent
0: is. I mean, I would probably come away with a. I didn't like the movie. If I was to choose between one side or the other, my review would probably sound negative.
1: Right, but I so I can
0: see why this number is.
1: But I don't think it's like a god awful film. Like it's just fine. So let's focus on the
0: Metacritic of forty three. Do you still think that that's too low? Yes. Okay. What do you? What would you give it?
1: Give it a fifty eight. It wasn't terrible. No. yeah, I it's think it's... It's just, it's, it's, it is what they said. It is a hollow remake. There's nothing yeah. about this that makes it new and different, but it's not incompetently made. It's not... It's um, funny that you say that. It's not filled with, like, shit that you're just like, what? Like, you know, like, yeah. like you were with Poltergeist, where it was uh-huh. just like... Why would anyone make these decisions for this film? This is is just an empty shell of a remake.
0: It's funny that you say that. Empire Magazine said, competently made Mm -hmm. and enjoyably played, but you do really end up wondering what the point was. Exactly. Cinematic deja vu is the most likely response. And film critic Eric D. Snyder said, this film is for people who've never seen the original and who are easily scared by mediocre horror films.
1: It's pretty well written, I'd say. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I'd, I'd give it a 60, I think. Yeah. Unremarkable. Not bad. No. Just unremarkable.
1: hmm
0: Yeah. All right. That is 2006's The Omen, and thus concludes our double feature. But what are we watching next week, Kelsey?
1: Next week is also a recommendation week. Yeah. This one comes to us from bearded underscore prince. Okay. From, from Twitter. And he asked us to do Scream 2. Okay. So we're going to watch Scream 2. Okay. And he wants us to pair it with a movie I've never heard of called Don't Hang Up.
0: Huh. I've never heard of that.
1: hmm
0: What year did Scream 2 come out?
1: Like 97. It was like the year right after. 97,
0: yeah. Uh-huh. Where they made an awful, awful choice in Scream 2 because they did not have the foresight. Yes. To know that Screams 3 and 4 would be coming. (laughs) Yes. I think if you guys have seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Even though I hate the guy as a person, the character is awesome. (laughs) It's true. Anyway. Okay, so that's next week. Scream 2 and Don't Hang Up. Uh, Until then, you can always reach us at our website, which is podcemetery.com. There you can browse a list of every single one of our episodes in chronological order or every movie we've covered in alphabetical order. It's a great way to find a movie that you would like to hear us talk about and jump in there. You can leave a comment, share your thoughts in the movies, or recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also email us at PodCemetery at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at PodCemetery, where I add comments that we think of after the mics are off. Um, we've, I've been doing that a whole lot more lately. You get a lot of gifs and and photos and other video clips. Like I had to share the ending of Play Misty for me. So if you were wondering what that actually looked like when you listened to that episode, if you follow us on Twitter, you can see the actual clip. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. As always, five-star written reviews are the best kind of review that you can give us. Uh, Even better than that, though, is sharing us with your friends. And even better than that is listening in the GD first place. So until next week, I've been Chris.
1: I've been Kelsey. And
0: this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words?
1: When the Jews return to Zion, and a comet rips the sky, and the Holy Roman Empire rises then you and I must die. From the eternal sea he rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against brother till man exists no more. I
0: don't want to be buried in a cemetery. I don't want
2: to live my life.
0: He just puts the blind down and makes out with her a little bit, you know, like it's not, it's not supposed to be, hey, we're going to bone, welcome (laughs) to the bone zone, no, it's, they just kiss for a little bit. That's how
1: Chris talks, by the way, when we're having sex, that's what
0: he says. (laughs) That's not going in the episode. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the Bone Zone. <laughs> you gonna show me your O face? <laughs> take, take a ride on the Bone Roller Coaster.
2: Oh.
0: <sighs> Continue. <laughs> what actor voiced Chucky in the Child's Play series?
1: I think you did ask me this. I think
0: I asked you a question about this character, about this guy. I can ask you something else.
1: I couldn't remember his name anyway. I can see his face. He's Worm Tongue. He's mm-hmm. the guy from worm-tongue Oh yeah, over I definitely ask you this
0: one because the next one is: In what century does the village take place? This has got to be like the seventh plane in the past fifteen minutes.
1: And she's there with other moms, which makes no sense. It
0: sure does. Parents I go on field know, trips I know all the some time.
1: Parents do but not that many, especially not that many rich parents. At the age
0: of 5, it's a it's a kindergarten field trip. Parents go. Especially rich parents who have nothing better to do.
1: <laughs> That's the thing they have plenty more to do.
0: No, she doesn't. What does she do?
1: You have money, you can go do whatever the what, fuck you want. What does she do? I know what I'd do if I had <laughs> And I didn't have to work. Baby, can we be rich and not have to work? Yes. Oh yay!
0: <laughs> Kelsey. Yes. You're not gonna get this one, I'm sorry.
1: Okay. Brad Dorough.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> but-
1: Oh, my God. I remembered his name. <laughs> what? That's so good. You are infuriating. Continue with the story.
0: You've never felt compelled to do something and then felt guilty about it afterwards?
1: I didn't bring about the apocalypse.
0: So much of this conversation is going to end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> It's just us being frustrated with each other. (laughs) Okay, anyway.
1: You dick. Kelsey. Yeah. I love you. I love you.